Welcome! You're listening to the Pastor's Class Podcast. Either you couldn't make it to class last weekend, or you're just wanting a refresher on what was taught. This is the place for you. You can also visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We really do hope this message blesses you and that you leave here with more knowledge of the Word of God in your heart. And again, thank you for listening. I am going to cover, I'm telling you, 23, 24, 25, and 26. So it's a lot. Uh, and I thought actually about just reading them because it's a great story, to be honest with you. And, and what made me think about it, though, is, is I was uh, a couple of weeks ago, a bucket list item for me. I had the privilege of going and spending almost a whole day with Francis Chan. And you guys know that I'm a huge Francis Chan fan. I told him uh, when I met with him that I had uh, borrowed his, I started to say stolen, I'd borrowed his rope illustration many times. Um, but it was, it was good. I, I had a great time. I spent maybe five hours with him. We had a nice lunch together. And uh, it was really just, to me, very interesting. The reason I went, other than I just really wanted to meet him, is uh, I wanted to talk about church. You know, I, uh, he and I have very similar, I think, views of church and church today. And uh, in fact, he's got a ministry called We Are Church. Sounds a little bit like our uh, Be That Church. I told him he kind of stole it from us maybe, but I think it's the other way around. Um, but, you know, really just if you look at him and his life and his you know, progression of his faith from starting a mega church and leaving that mega church and then now starting a church that uh, is a home church. You know, he really is trying to get back to what it really means to be an Acts 2 church, and he's about to actually release a new book uh, that's going to be talking about this same thing, that this Acts 2 church, and what does a church today look like? What does a healthy Acts 2 church look like? And one of the reasons we've done, obviously, the series that we've done in Acts and started talking about how do we learn from that early church is the times today and the times then you know, are seeming more and more alike. Uh, you know, there's more and more things that we have in common, and I think that it's just very timely that this type of a movement, this home church movement, and this book coming out, because I think all of us uh, would agree that uh, it seems more and more every day that if you're a Christian, you uh, relate more to the minority in our culture. It's certainly a culture that becomes more and more uh, hostile. I mean, I think if you really talk to a lot of people, they would think that what we believe is foolish. Uh, and living today as a Christian, as a committed follower, someone that really lives out their faith, and there's a difference, right? A committed follower of Christ in today's world, some days, a lot of days, really feels like uh, you're on trial almost, and you're having to prove your faith. And uh, these chapters that we're dealing with tonight, really, that's what they're about. Uh, the Apostle Paul, and the reason I grouped them all together is that uh, we're going to see that he's being put on trial. Uh, him and his faith, everything that he believes on, in is being tested and judged in what really feels like uh, courts of law. So let me just dive in, and I'm going to give a little bit of a recap. I know Stuart did some of this last week, but obviously in the book of Acts, a great deal of the book of Acts has been really a timeline of Apostle Paul and the birth of the early church and his ministry. So we know we've finished the three missionary journeys and then Paul made his way back to Jerusalem. As Stuart talked about last night, he was in the temple and uh, 
some Jewish folks from Asia that probably heard Paul uh, when he was out on his missionary journeys. They come in and uh, they're, they're stirring up trouble and like good religious folks, when they don't like something, they just beat him down and they're trying to kill Paul. In fact, the guards, the, the, the centurions and the tribune named Lysias comes to his rescue. And as they're pulling him out of the temple, as again Stuart was talking about last week, he got to do what? Tell his story. Uh, he got to tell about his conversion and about how God changed his life. And even then, as he's telling this, it's not very popular, right? I mean, the Jewish people really didn't want to hear this message. They had heard this before. I mean, he's been preaching this and speaking this, but nobody wanted to hear. It was an unpopular message. It's really kind of still an unpopular message today, right? This idea that, that there's a God that, that, that sent his son to die on a cross, and we, we get to make a choice between heaven and hell on whether or not we believe in Christ. And uh, that's just not popular to people. And apparently it's not very popular even to the to the Pope, uh, you know, recently it basically came out and I guess just kind of went, that blew over, you know, what he had studied in the Bible. But this idea that you and your will doesn't control, but the will of God controls, people don't like that. There's a submission involved, right? There's a surrender involved. So it's, it's not a very popular uh, position. So that's where Paul's out telling everybody a story. He's, he's out and he's He's being very vocal about what he believes in, and of course, they don't like it. The Jews don't like it. And here, all of a sudden, you've got Roman soldiers that, that are protecting him. So they pull him out, and they're taking him back to, to, uh, to put him into the barracks. And then, of course, now the time comes for them to deal with him. So to have a little fun, you know, it talks about how they're going to just they're gonna flog him. But then he comes at the very end, as you guys talked about last week, and he tells them that he's a Roman citizen. And then when he tells them he's a Roman citizen, then you've got this tribune, uh, Lysias, who's just thinking, okay, well, now this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You know, I've got now, I've found out that he's a Roman citizen. He's probably well-educated, you know, and all of a sudden now he's trying to think through this of, okay, well, is there any truth to this? I need to get to the bottom of really why these people are complaining about him and why all the, you know, why is this Apostle Paul such a bad guy that the Jews want to kill him. So that's what then starts in chapter 23 as we start to see that this series of trials, if you will, where um, this tribune, Lysias, is going to take Paul and put him in front of the Jewish council. Okay, he's going to put him in front of the Jewish council, and then after that, he's going to take him before a couple of Roman governors, Felix and Festus. Then he's going to put him before King Agrippa. All the while, he's really just trying to, to figure out what it is about this way, if you will, uh, this movement that Paul's been preaching about. Is it right? Does this guy deserve to die? And what we're going to see in these chapters then is really Christianity and Paul put on trial. And every time I start thinking about that, and this is something that really is just burning in my heart uh, for the last actually couple of years as I watch just kind of what's taking place in society between the church and, you know, just the, the world, if you will, and this what's playing out in, in the court of the world and this harshness and this anger and this, and this bitterness. And so I always am trying to think to myself, how is it that we live in this world? How do we live on trial? If we really are, if really Christianity and our faith is on trial, how do we live that out every day? And I think about it just, you know, not just for my own life, but I think about it for my children. You know, how do I train them? 
I mean, they're just about to go. They're just starting this journey. How, what can I tell them? You know, what pieces of advice, what lessons can I give them to how to deal with this world, how to be a committed follower of Christ living in a world where Christianity is on trial? And that's what I want us to think about and figure out tonight and see if we can learn something uh, from Apostle Paul and how he dealt with these various trials and going before the various rulers and leaders uh, in Rome. So I'm going to start there in verse in chapter 23. I'm not going to read everything, but I am going to read a lot, which is why I need some water. But I'll read fast, okay? So it starts off, like I said, in he had been uh, ca- taken away from the temple, from the, the Roman guards, the centurions, and the tribune, and the soldiers, and they found out that he is a Roman citizen. And now you look there in verse 30 of chapter 22, it says there that he wants to know, the, the tribune wants to know, he wants to desire to know the real reason behind why they're accusing of this. And then in verse 1 of chapter 23, it says, And looking intently at the council, he had pulled the council together, and allowed Paul to speak to them. Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to, stri- God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And Paul's just saying, listen, you're, you're preaching to me, but here you are having someone beat me. <clears throat> These... Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So scholars debate whether or not Paul was really being sarcastic or if he actually really didn't know if this was the high priest. In any event, he recognizes, if you will, that he had done something wrong and and in effect apologizes. And then Paul, being a Pharisee, you know, there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were both part of the ruling political party. The Sadducees were more of the rich folk, and the Pharisees more of the working class. But if you look in verses 6 there, 6 through 9, it says, being a Pharisee, Paul, in effect, creates a debate. And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees on this council, they start debating one another. It's like he's trying to create a diversion almost. And then down in verse 10, it says, And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, so they're fighting each other now, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, so this is the Lord speaking to Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And then this next set of verses is, you know, the Jews had a different plan. Uh, while God is telling him, you're going to go to Rome and, and you're going to testify as you've testified here in Jerusalem to me in my name, the Jews, they, they put forth a plot. So in this next part there, starting in verse 12, it talks about how the Jews were going to trick them and they were going to basically say, hey, uh, Ananias and the leaders of the council, we want you to, to tell them that you're going to give Paul another chance. And when they're bringing him over here, we're going to ambush him and we're going to kill him. And the way this is all kind of revealed to the tribune is through the nephew of Paul. It says there in verse 16, now the son of Paul's sister heard of the ambush, so he went to tell him. When the tribune heard about this, he says, no, I'm not going to let this happen. So over in verse 23, it says that he called two of the centurions and said, uh, get ready 200 soldiers with 75 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea 
at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. So now, while this plot was taking place, the tribune, again, really trying to get to the bottom of what's going on, he says, listen, I'm going to bypass this ambush in the middle of the night. I'm going to take him to Caesarea, and I'm going to let him sit before uh, Felix, the governor there. So then over in verse 24, or chapter 24, this is where Paul is now before, uh, before Felix, the governor. And it says, And after five days the high priest Ananias had come down, so Felix had asked him to come and speak and be present in this trial, if you will. In fact, this uh, Tertullus that is mentioned here uh, is probably a lawyer uh, that's, that's representing, if you will, the, the Jewish council. It says, They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, uh, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through uh, you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in, ki- in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, uh, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining himself, him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerly, cheerfully make my defense. You can verify it. Uh, You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city, neither can they prove to you uh, what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So Paul's using it against them. He's saying, listen, they believe this same thing. Okay, they believe the Old Testament. They believe the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets told you this is what was going to happen. That there was going to be a Messiah, that he was going to die on a cross, he was going to be raised the third day, and he was going to give you eternal life. They, they believe this, they just, don't, they just don't, haven't opened their eyes to see that this was Jesus fulfilling the prophecy. So I always take, Paul says, pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now after several years I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. So he had been out on his journeys and he had brought back these, these offerings to give. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. This is kind of like a, that anonymous hate mail. Uh, they're not there to, to, to talk about what they started in that temple. Or else let these men themselves say that what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. It's because I'm a Christian. It's because I believe in Christ. I believe that he was raised from the dead. And then in 22 it says, But Felix, having a rather accurate, accurate knowledge of the way, 
put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his knees. And he stayed there in this, this confinement, it says at the end, for two years until Felix was succeeded by Festus. And then uh, we get Paul before Festus. So we put him before Felix. He's now been in prison for two years. And then it says there in chapter 25 that now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. So he had left Jerusalem, went up to um, he left Caesarea and went up to Jerusalem. And then over in verse 6, it says, After he had stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the, Jew, the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there to be tried of these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. There, if there is nothing uh, to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. But in the meantime, uh, the king, King Agrippa, who is King Agrippa II, in fact, his great-grandfather was Herod, who killed all the infants, when Jesus was, was born. So now King Agrippa is coming to pay a visit to Festus, and he'll be the next person that they put uh, Paul before. And there in verse 13 it says, Now uh, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice had arrived in Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there for many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, This is a man that was left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against them. And if you skip over there to verse 21 in the middle of it, it says, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. And then down in chapter 26, uh, we see Paul going before King Agrippa. It says, so King Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that as before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known me for a long time. If they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? It's like, how do you doubt this? You've known this your whole life and you can't see it. 
I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from chief priests, but then when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen, all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to point you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and then throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in Paul's defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I, except for these change. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or punishment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So the reason I was making that connection to Francis is there was a festival. I, I forget exactly which one it was that they had in D.C. And he stood there for probably an hour. And his entire message was just reading the Bible. All he did is read God's word and, and let that sink in for the people that were listening. But... Here we see Paul. He's been paraded before Governor Felix, Governor Festus. He's been before the Jewish council. He's been before King Agrippa. And all the while, he and Christianity have been put on trial. So what I want us to, again, think about is how did Paul live during this trial? You know, what were his actions like and how can somehow we learn from that? You know, what, what should we look for and how should we live in the, in the day we live in, where it's very similar, where people think he's foolish. I mean, you heard Festus say, you're crazy. This is crazy talk. 
you know, and, and just the, the anger toward what we believe because it, it forces people to make a decision. It forces people to choose God's will over their will, and people don't like that. So it's not going to be popular. We live in a very, very similar time, and I think if we're going to be effective as believers, we need to learn how to live in this time. Uh, we need to understand and you know what to do and what to say, and I think we can learn a few things from this about living in trial. And and here's the first thing I think we we learn from this is to, if you're going to live in trial in trial, uh, you must first and foremost be kind. Now, when I read this whole thing and and give it the whole context, and I've read those chapters over and over and over again, is the thing that jumps out to me first is just the kindness of Paul. Just how kind he is. Just his words are kind. Um, he's respectful. Even to the Jewish council, he's respectful. Once he found out who he was talking to, he, he apologizes. Uh, he's deferential. He's, he's humble. He talks about when he, was before, um, when he was before Agrippa, what does he say? Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. I'm sorry, I think that was when he was before Festus. And Agrippa, he said, I consider myself fortunate. That is, before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today. He was kind in his words and in his actions. You know, and I think if you look around today, Christians included, the one thing that you probably not see is a whole lot of kindness. You know, just, just listening to the ba- debate, just looking at the social media uh, from both sides, what I don't see a whole lot of is kindness. And, you know, I saw a quote uh, recently, I think Aaron had, had, had tagged it or something from Lisa Bevere. It just said this, that the world is watching. And I just started thinking about that. They are. I mean, this, this is one big televised trial, and the world is watching how we're going to act. And if you, if you, if you would have went back and replayed this, what would have happened if Paul wouldn't have been kind? What would have happened if Paul would have come at them? He would have been aggressive. He would have been yelling at them, been calling them names and, and screaming at them. What do you think would have happened? He'd have been beat with, to, his, to his death, probably. Kind of what we see play out, at least I do, when I read Franklin Graham's Twitter feed. I, I, that's what it feels like to me. It's just people just the most ugly, hateful, just coming at him with such just hatefulness. Because that's what you get. You know, when you go after them, they're going to come after you. we got to inject kindness into this. You know, and how do you do that? It's not that easy, right? I mean, I get it. I mean, I get it. It's not that easy. I mean, you got to do it out of the overflow. You got to do it out of, because God gave you the same kind of grace and mercy. In fact, I think that Paul, when he wrote the book of Titus, when he was writing that book to Titus, which was many years later, I think he was thinking about this. If you looked over in Titus chapter 3, the first seven verses, listen to what Paul says and what he writes over there. It says, Remember them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another." We were all sinners. We all messed up. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. 
not because of works by, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. We might become like Christ according to the hope of eternal life. I mean, I think Paul was writing to this specific time. This is probably what he was talking about. Remember to speak no evil of no, of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show courtesy to everybody. And that doesn't just mean the people you agree with. I think he was, again, talking about this time when he was before all of these rulers because he leads it off by talking about being submissive to the rulers. We've got to be like Christ. Be kind, be kind, be kind, be kind. That's my first thing. Number two, uh, got to be patient. Got to be patient. You know, too often we feel like we have to control things. We, ha- we feel like that it's all up to us. You know, whatever it is, to win the argument, to convert the person, to you know, make the statement, whatever it is, we believe that it's up to us. But what's so interesting to me about these chapters, if you think about Paul and his position, there was nothing in his control. There was nothing in his control. He's bound in chains. Everything is outside of his control. But you know what? It wasn't outside of God's control. What did God say in, this, in these chapters? And uh, He told him, he said, what? You're going to be my witness like you've been here in Jerusalem? You're going to be my witness in Rome. And remember this. There was no certainty that Paul was going to make it to Rome. I mean, in fact, if you go back to chapter 21, okay, in verse 13, in fact, he thought he was going there to die. Okay, it says in verse 13 of chapter 21, then Paul answered when, the, when these disciples that were with him that were trying to keep him from going to Jerusalem, it said, then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Well, guess what? The will of the Lord wasn't that he would die in Jerusalem. The will of the Lord would be that he will make it to to Rome. In fact, when we go read chapter 27 and 28, you're going to see that he makes it to Rome. But there was nothing in this that would have ever made Paul think that was possible. This was the will of God. Because you know what? God has a plan for our lives. He had a plan for Paul's life. You know, so when we're out there living in this trial and, 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 and it's difficult and hard, just remember, it's not up to you. It's not up to me. We need to be patient in this circumstance. God has a plan. I mean, you imagine how hard this was for Paul to remain patient in this? I mean, it would be impossible. But for us, we just got to remember that, that God's the one that's in control. God's got this. I, always, I was thinking about this more. How do, you, how do you think about this? And I was thinking about, you know, like, not that I've ever done this, but, you know, you've, you've seen people play chicken when they're driving cars at one another. Probably could have safer things. When we were a kid, we used cars. But... Uh, when you're playing chicken, okay, you know, and, and if God told me that guy's going to turn, okay, when I'm way back here and he's way down there, that faith is pretty easy. All right, I'm, I'm okay with it, way over there. But, but I guarantee you, the closer you get, boy, the more that faith gets tested, doesn't it? You know, and the harder it is to believe that that guy's going to turn. I'm sure it's the same way with Paul. Like, the days go by, the years go by. It's like, am I really going to make it to Rome? But that's when you got to dig in and be patient. you got to wait for God. He's in control. So number one, be kind. 
Number two, be patient. And number three, it's what Stuart talked about last week. Just keep telling your story. Just keep telling your story. Paul sure did, right? He told his story back whenever he was arrested, when he first took him out of the temple. You guys talked about that last week, and then we see it here again when he's in front of King Agrippa. He's just telling his story. Tell him what happened that day on that road to Damascus. How God changed him. How God saved him. We've said this over and over again, right? That nobody can take your story away. So when you're out there in the midst of this trial and you're being persecuted and, and, and Christianity and you maybe, if you're a follower on trial, just remember, just keep telling your story. Just keep telling your story. I mean, I, you know, you find it interesting, right? I mean, Paul wasn't beating them over the head with the Bible. He was certainly telling them the story of the prophets and of the gospel, but he wasn't beating them with it. What was he doing? He was just telling his story. This, listen, I'm just telling you what happened to me. I used to kill Christians. I used to persecute them, and God changed me in an incredible, miraculous way, and now he's called me to be his witness. It sounds like us, doesn't it? I mean, I could tell the same thing in my life. I could say how, listen, for most of my life, I never even thought about God, didn't care about Him one ounce. And then He saves me, both spiritually and probably also physically. And now, today, when the world is spinning upside down some days, I've got this rock that I can hold on to. I mean, that's just my story. You know, William was telling me this uh, morning, I think, we were watching something, he said, he said, Dad, I'm, I don't know why people give in to peer pressure. He said, I'm not ever going to do that. And I said, I'm so glad. I hope that's the case. But I told him, I said, you know, the reason people give in to peer pressure is because they don't have anything to hold on to. They don't have anything to hold on to. All right, well, you got the rock of Christ, this immovable rock. You don't have to give in to peer pressure. You know why? Because you can stand firm. You can stand firm. And you can tell your story. Just keep telling your story. When I was in San Francisco, one of the things that I... I had the opportunity to do, one of my good friends is out there, a guy named Jack McDonald, and Jack had invited me to dinner, he knew I was going to be out there, uh, so on the night before I went to see Francis, I had dinner with him at this restaurant called The Big Four, which was, I guess it's named after the four people that founded San Francisco, and I don't know, how many people have ever been to San Francisco? Oh my goodness, that's a lot of people. So... I was staying at the bottom of uh, the hill, at Knob Hill, <laughs> and uh, I walked out of my hotel, and I'm like, oh, yeah, where's this big four restaurant? I think it's up this way a little bit, and the doorman's like, oh, yeah, it's at the top of the, top of the hill, and I said, well, how far is this? He said, well, it's, uh, it's .7 miles, and it's raining, and it's a little windy, and, and it's cold, and I'm like, well, okay, I can walk. I, don't, I feel stupid taking an Uber or a taxi at .7 miles. He's like, oh, no, you can't walk up there. I'm like, what are you talking about? I can't walk up there. I'm like, I can walk anywhere. I'm in good shape. He's like, no, no, you can't walk there. I'm like, well, that was just it. I was going to walk up there. I said, give, give me that umbrella. So I had a suit on, and I got this little umbrella, and it's like blowing off of me, and the water's hitting me in the face. And, uh, and I start walking up this hill, and it is, oh, my gosh. That was the hardest walk of my entire life. I got to the top of that. I had to sit outside. I was soaking wet. The rain still coming down on me. I couldn't even go inside. I, I was sweating. I had to go into the bathroom, take my sh basically my shirt off and dry. And it's 40 degrees outside. So anyway, I get, that wasn't the story. But I get up there, and, uh, and I meet Jack. And as I'm there, I, honestly, I'm thinking about literally what we're talking about here because, you know, I'm in San Francisco it's a very liberal city, obviously, uh, a little bit different than Dallas, Texas. Uh, Jack is a very good friend of mine. 
and uh, you know, and, and we have a lot of great conversations. I got to tell my story uh, when I sat down with him, but the whole time I'm sitting there and we're talking about politics, we're talking about religion, we're talking about San Francisco, we're talking about Dallas. You know, we started talking about this is, you know, Scott, how do you live in this world? Because he knows how I, what I believe. He knows how I live my life. And, 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 and Jack's a believer, too. Uh, but he's just, you know, we're just having this good conversation. And I told him, I said, you know, listen, for me, all I think about is, is what I was talking about here is just being kind. I mean, I just want to be kind to people. In fact, when I go into a situation and I know it's going to be adversarial and I know that maybe they think that I'm a foe and not a friend and that, that they're wondering about me and they're sizing me up and they're just wondering if I'm going to be judgmental and if I'm going to be harsh and I'm going to come after them, I'll tell you what goes through my mind over and over is you're just going to be nice, you're going to be nice, you're going to be nice. You know why? Because I really know, I want to make sure if they know nothing else, they know that I care. I just want them to know that I care. And that I love them. That's all I focus on. Because I can't control all these other things I focus on. I want to make sure they know I care and that I love them. Because honestly, I mean, the Bible's pretty clear, right? What does love do? It conquers everything. I mean, think about it. The whole reason that we stand here, you know, saved is love. I mean, for God so loved the world. So when I go into this, all I'm thinking about is I just want to make sure that I'm being kind. That they know that I care about them. They know that I love them. They know it. And you know what? When you do that, there's an old saying, what, it says, kill them with kindness? I'm telling you, it makes a difference. The Bible tells you. It's very clear about it. Okay? A kind word turns away anger. That's what Proverbs tells us. Okay? So you come after them, though, it's going to go the other direction. I'll tell you the other thing, too, about kindness. It's contagious. I've seen it play out in my own house. I looked at, we, we, we have this volleyball net out in our backyard, and we were playing for like, we was going to cover his head up. We were playing for like a week or so. And it was just, I couldn't even do it anymore. Like the fighting, like screaming, yelling at each other. It was just terrible. I was like, I, I quit. This is making me nervous. I, I, have, I have stress in my life. It doesn't need to be playing volleyball. And uh, the next day we go out there and William is just as kind and nice. And he's like congratulating everybody. He was like telling them how good they did. And I'm like, William what in the world has gotten into you? And he's like, well, I was just hearing you, Dad, yesterday talk about how you didn't want to be out here because it was, you know, all this confrontational. He's like, I just don't really want you to ever think that of me. So he's like, I'm going to start being nice. I'm like, yes, first of all, that's awesome. So I kept encouraging him. But then you know what happened is he kept being nicer and nicer and nicer. And then guess what? Grace started being nice to him. Now all of a sudden we got two people being nice. Why? Because it's contagious. It's contagious. And I tell you, though, that doesn't mean, all right, by the way, it doesn't mean when you go into this and you're patiently waiting on God and you're telling your story and you're killing them with kindness, it doesn't mean everybody's going to respond the same way, does it? No, there's going to be some people that even if you're kind to them, they're going to come after you. We see that here in the Jews, right? They're like Satan. They just keep coming after you and keep coming after you and keep coming after you. And you know what you do when, when that happens and the world's coming at you and, you, and you, you, you feel like it's out of your control and it's hard and you're struggling and you're fighting this trial? You know what you just got to do? You got to be patient, right? Wait on God. You got to be kind. Be kind. Let them know you care. Let them know you love them. And then just tell your story. I'm telling you, people will respond if you just tell them your story in a kind way and wait for God to do the rest. Amen.
All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, this class. God, thank you for each person that, uh, Lord, so faithfully comes. Lord, thank you for this, this church. God, this is an Acts 2 church, Lord, where people are praying together and fellowshipping together, sharing life together, Lord. So I pray, God, that you would continue to bless this church, that you would bless each and every person in it, Lord, and that, uh, God, that you would continue to cover us with your spirit that's the power of your holy spirit lord and god just your love thank you so much for dying for us Uh, god just thank you for loving us enough to send your son to die for us because god we would stand here lost uh, with nothing but an eternity of of hell and death in front of us if it wasn't for you god so thank you and lord i pray god in this difficult time lord when it seems like like Christianity is on trial, Lord, I pray, God, that for all of us, Lord, that we would go into, into this courtroom of the world, Lord, knowing that we can make a difference, God, that we can go out and we can help change people's lives and the way they view Christians, God, by just being kind and patient and, God, just telling our story. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would empower us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may get people have to leave, John, but yes. What do you want to say? Well, I just know people got to go pick up kids. Um, just had a word that I um, wanted to know if next week, all during the week, all the people here, and I'm only asking you, or God's asking us, to only one person that we can approach, that you ask them a question, who is Jesus Christ to you? If they say, he's my Lord and Savior, you need to go on and find some money that might say he was a great prophet, he was someone in the Bible. That's the person I want you, one person, this next week, that you can approach and talk to. Can we do it? Everyone in here. Every person. Thank you, John. That's a great question, though, by the way. It starts a great conversation. How do you, what do you think about Jesus Christ? Thank you guys. Have a great week.